Good morning, church. It's good to be uh, in the presence of the Lord and to worship the Lord with all of you here at uh, Rexdale Alliance. And I want to thank Pastor Sam and the leadership of this church for the opportunity uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Sam said, my name is uh, Fanu, and I uh, lead a ministry called Passion to Reach Ministries. Uh, recently, um, Rexdale Alliance was a partner church with a conference that we hosted called Go Conference. Anybody here attended Go Conference? Okay, we had a few of you. Thank you for coming out. And uh, we had a couple of thousand people from across the greater Toronto area uh, come out and be a part of Go Conference 2018. And it was all about equipping people to reach their communities with the gospel. Amen? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about being partners in the mission of God. Being partners in the mission of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. I'm going to read 26 to 28. Uh, the verse is up on the screen. It says this, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. John 15, 9 to 17. John 15, 9 to 17 says this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Can someone say everything? I've told you everything the Father has told me. Me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. I want to read verse 16 once more. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. And finally, 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, 
We thank you this morning for your word in this house. We thank you that the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word is forever established and it is the same. And so, Spirit of God, I pray that you will discern the need of every individual heart and that you will speak to your people this morning. Encourage someone this morning, Lord. Inspire your people this morning, Lord. Challenge us to be about your mission. In Jesus' name, Lord, I take authority. Every, every, every distraction, every spirit of unbelief, Lord, I pray that faith will rise up in our hearts as we listen to your word. Holy Spirit, have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You know, church, one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that the gospel from the very beginning was all about a partnership between God and man. When you understand uh, Christian history, when you understand New Testament, when you understand the early church, you realize that it wasn't like Jesus was this person, the superhero that was here to stay and do everything for the church. And all people needed to do was just show up to church on Sunday, pray and worship, read your Bible, you know, every day, and just make sure you're a good Christian. As long as you're a good Christian, I'll take care of everything else. That wasn't, that isn't the New Testament context of God's mission and the kingdom of God. The whole understanding right from the beginning is I've chosen you, I've appointed you so you can go and make a difference. I grew up in a Christian home in the Middle East. My parents are originally from India, but I grew up in Bahrain. And I'll never forget the day, the first day in my life, when I began to think about God's mission. I think I began to think about lost people. Being in church all my life, went to Sunday school, was on the worship team, did all these things in church. But up until that point, I never even thought about the need for me to be engaged with God and what God was doing on the earth. I'll never forget that day, December 7th, 2000, I was 15 years old, I was at the time going through some um, very major illnesses in my life, the doctor had just given me a report and said to me that they couldn't really help me with what I was going through and they didn't know what to do about it and the medications were not working and so I was in a very desperate place in my life as well and so one night I was on my knees and I was praying, I'll never forget this, I, I, I was praying, I closed my eyes and I saw this vision and in this vision I saw hundreds of thousands of people walking to the edge of a cliff and when they got to the edge of the cliff I still remember this they were they were falling and they were falling into what looked like this massive huge um, fiery lake below them and had never seen anything like that never heard of anyone that had uh, seen a vision of that nature and so I remember seeing their faces the horror in their faces I remember as they were falling the, the screams that were coming from them and I remember saying and I'm weeping at this point physically weeping as I'm, I'm seeing this and I'm saying somebody I'm thinking the first row is already gone but I'm saying somebody tell the thousand rows behind them that this is what's going to happen. And I'll never forget the Lord speaking to me that day. He says, Finu, your life belongs to me. And that was very significant because I had the call of God in my life when I was a little boy. And I always said to my mom, I said, Mommy, I will never be a preacher. I'll never be in ministry. 
You know, uh, I said, uh, I want to make money and I'll give money to the church, but I don't want to be in ministry because our context at the time, uh, if you've ever, if you are, you know, from the East, you'll probably understand this. Uh, uh, Bahrain is a prosperous nation, oil rich nation. And, and so even though we were Indians living in Bahrain, we'd constantly have people from India, pastors coming over to raise funds for orphanages or Bible schools or church buildings, etc. So our context growing up was, hey, if you're in ministry, you're always going to be asking for, right. Said, I don't want to do that. And my parents, you know, my parents agreed with me because they were good Indian parents, you know. They wanted us to get educated. They wanted us to get a great career. And you know how Indian parents are. Indian parents tell their kids, you can be anything you want in this world. Doctor, engineer, lawyer, you choose. So my father had three sons and that was the plan, you know. One was going to be a doctor, one was going to be, actually I was, I was going to be the engineer, that was my thing. So I was going to be the engineer and then the doctor and the lawyer. If those three professions were represented, he had made it, you know. And so, so that was my whole context. And so I said to him, this is what I used to say to my mom, and this is my point here. I used to say to my mom, my life belongs to me. I will do with my life what I want to do with my life. But that night when I saw that vision... The Lord spoke to me in my heart and He says, your life belongs to me. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Because God was saying, Fanu, you need to be a part of what I want to do in this world. You need to be a part of my mission in the world. Yes, I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm powerful. You know, we sang the song, He's the Lion and the Lamb. Yes, He is. But He needs some people to let the world know that He is the Lion of Judah. He needs, the, he needs somebody to let the world know that He is the Lamb that was slain since the foundation of the world for our sins. We're called. And I love this passage in Matthew because the Bible says Jesus is in a room with his disciples. I want you to picture this for a moment. It's like, like it's this idea of us against the world, the world, us against society, us against everybody else because everyone's persecuting us. People are out to get us. They're about to come and capture Jesus. And they're huddled in this room and they're celebrating communion there. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, my blood... My body is being broken, my blood is being shed. But he says, don't ever think it's only for the people in the room. He says, my blood is shed for many. It's not just for us. It's not just for us in the room, he's saying. He's saying, guys, I know right now you think like it's all about you. And you know, and I know it's funny, we grew up like this way. We grew up in a church context where we love Jesus. We, we worship, we were in church all the time. But this constant idea that we are the holy ones. We are the righteous ones. We are the ones that God has chosen and selected. And there's a wicked, evil world out there. Listen, stay away. Stay away. You know, there's a scripture that says, uh, uh, Come apart and be separate. Be separate from the world. Don't engage. Don't go there. Don't connect. And, and that was the whole idea. And, and the disciples probably felt that way. Right? They're, they're our enemies, Jesus. They don't want anything to do with us. But Jesus is saying to them, no, no, listen, my blood was shed not just for you, but for those outside the room. And then Jesus says in John, I think it's powerful. He says, friends, you're no longer slaves. What he's saying is, you're not just people that I command you to do something and you do it because I told you to do it and, you know, that's about it. No, he says, you're my friends. He says, I'm bringing you into partnership. 
I'm telling you the secrets of the kingdom. You know, it's like when you're a business owner. A business owner knows what the secret sauce of the business is. The employees don't necessarily know. You don't go to KFC and work there for a month and say, Hey guys, I was just wondering, you know, uh, how, how does this recipe work again? They don't give out their recipes to all their employees. You've got to be an owner. You've got to be the person that created it. You've got to be a person that's part of the ownership of that company to know what's going on behind the scenes. Jesus says, you are my friends because I've told you everything that the Father has told me. See, often we come to God, we come to Christ with this idea that, hey, who am I? And this is what I used to think, who am I? God can't use me. I don't know all of the Bible. I don't know theology. I've not been to Bible school at that time. I hadn't been to Bible school yet. I, I, I can't do this. God, you do it. I'll pray. Hey, I'll pray. I'll pray for the nations. I'll pray for souls. I'll pray for miracles. i pray that the people will know the name of Jesus. But God, I'm just not qualified. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're my friends. You're qualified because I've told you everything the Father has told me. You have the secret sauce, if you will, of the kingdom of God. Friend, can I tell you this morning, church, we as Christians, we have everything we need to become partners. Not just employees, but part owners of the kingdom of God. And I love what, what, what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs. I love this analogy. Because what he's saying is this. He's saying, it's not just about getting to the race. It's about winning the race. I remember thinking, you know, when I grew up, and this is sort of classical, evangelical thinking. Hey, I'm, I'm saved. I said the prayer. I said, I, I came up to the altar. I signed the little card. I put, I put the date in my Bible. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. What more do you want? If you're an immigrant to Canada, you probably know this, especially if you came, um, you know, in, say, in your 40s, for instance, you've worked for a couple of decades in another country. You know, when you're, when you're on the other side, you're like, man, if we can just get immigration to Canada and, you know, you get free health. You know, it's funny, on the other side, they only tell you all the free stuff you get. <laughs> they don't tell you that you're paying about 40% or 45% in taxes when you add all, everything up together in a year, right? So anyways, you know, so, so, so you get free this, you get free that. And then you're like, if I could just get to Canada. And then you arrive at Pearson. You first get on the 401. You're like, my goodness. Eight lanes on one side, 16 lanes. Right? I mean, this is amazing. And then all the wonderful stuff. And then, and then eventually reality kicks in. You thought you'd get a job. You thought they were waiting. You thought the, you thought the employers were waiting with, with, with a job application. Hey, listen, you're new to come and work for me. After the hundredth resume you sent on Monster.com or Workopolis, you're like, man, money's running out. You know what happens when, when that situation happens and people are comparing notes, new immigrants are comparing notes? You know what they're saying? Hey, how much did you bring with you? Right? How much did you bring with you? Because on the other side, it's just about getting here. But once you get here, you're like, wait, wait a minute. Did I save enough? Did I bring enough? Did I do everything I could have on the other side so I could really be prosperous on this side? Sometimes I think that's how it is with heaven. We just, oh man, if I could just get to heaven. But what are you getting to? And when you get there and you compare notes and and the books are open, what will they say about how you lived your life? Here.
Joel Thiessen, professor of sociology, Ambrose University, did this survey, this research. I want to read a couple of points here. In the 1960s, 65% of Canadians used to attend church. Today, it's 15%. There's a declining belief Jesus is the only sure way by church attendees. Meaning, I believe Jesus is the way, but man, I don't know if he's the only way. The average active church member attends church only 1.6 times per month. Interesting. So about two times a month. Back in the day, if you said, I, I attend church, Rexdale is my home church, it means Pastor Sam would see you every single week. Today, if you show up to church once or twice a month, that still counts as a regular attendee. Divorce rates are about the same. Um, pornography, adultery. Uh, Christians are considered to be more than two times as likely to have racist attitudes. Uh, 40% of evangelicals think it's okay to live together before marriage. Uh, only about 6% of evangelicals regularly tithe. 60 to 80% of young people will leave the church in their 20s. And, and that stat probably is very evident in most churches, I would say. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, friends, more than ever before in our nation, God needs partners in mission. God needs people that, say, that says, I will do whatever it takes. You know, one of the things about being an owner, being a partner is, you're willing to give more than you would if you were just an employee. Right? Like my, work, my wife works for a, for a great employer, um, corporation. You know, imagine if she came home one day and said to me, you know, Fanu, listen, uh, things are tight at work. I mean, we just had a leadership meeting today and budget is low, uh, finances are not coming in, not sure what to do. Uh, I know it's a multi, multi-million dollar corporation. I know we have thousands of employees, but I'm just thinking, you know those $5,000 we have saved up? Why don't we just donate that to the corporation? I think, I think about what my response would be. I'd definitely not be in preacher mode, I'll tell you that much. I don't want to tell you exactly what I'd say, but I'd definitely not be in preacher mode. I'd be like, babe, are you kidding me? It's just a job. Why would you take our savings and give it to the corporation? What's in it for us? It's funny, the other day I have a business on the side as well that we do, and uh, I was meeting with my uh, partner, the two of us that run the business, and uh, we needed some money for marketing. You know, I didn't even think twice. I said it and I thought about it after. I said to him, I said, bro, don't worry about it. I've got some money saved up. I will fund the marketing campaign. Hmm. Why? Because I own it. Because I am a partner in the business. Because the vision of the business is my vision. It's, it, it, it flows out of me. And then I thought about the early church. Remember when the Bible says they sold their possessions? And they gave it to the church, laid it at the apostles' feet to give to those in need. You know, I wonder if they thought of themselves as owners, partners in the mission. So, yeah, it is my money, but because I so believe in the vision and the mission of what we're trying to do here, I'm willing to sacrifice of my own personal wealth. And I'm just not talking about money here. But money sometimes is indicative of where our heart is. They said, we'll give it up. Because... At the end of the day, it's about the mission of God. I want to share just three quick points with you about partnering with God's mission. Number one, modeling the kingdom. Modeling the kingdom. John fourteen nine. 
Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? John chapter 10 verse 30, The Father and I are one. Acts 3.16, listen to this, Through faith in the name of Jesus, this is Peter speaking, This man was healed and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. If we're going to be partners in God's mission, the number one thing we must do is we must model the kingdom of God. We must model what it means to be a believer. When I saw that vision at 15, my life changed. Listen, I went to school my entire life up until that point. Obviously, I was in high school and nobody knew I was a Christian. I didn't pray for anybody. When someone said to me, you know, I'm sick today. I don't feel well. I think I need to go home early. Or someone said, I'm struggling with this exam, with this class. I don't know how to make it. And I'm going for, you know, extra tuition classes and, and all this stuff. But it's just not happening. I've never, I never stepped up and said, hey, I know the God of all wisdom. Can I pray for you? I believe that Jesus can heal. Can I pray for you? Can I, can I, can I, can I communicate with you who Christ is? See, part of the whole idea of the mission of God is we have to represent, we have to live the mission. I always find it funny, if you ever work in a car dealership, or you own a car dealership, or you're a manager at a car dealership, say it's a Toyota dealership. You know, it's a little awkward if you drive a Mitsubishi, or a, or a, or a Hyundai, or a Honda. Can you imagine? You're the general manager at a Toyota, uh, Toyota store, but your car that you drive around everywhere, including for business, is... A Honda Accord. What happens? People are like, what? If you really believed that the Camry was the best car, or the Corolla was the best car, wouldn't you be driving that car? See, my friends, listen, if we really want to sell, and I use that word loosely, but if we really want to communicate who Jesus is, we've got to drive the car. We've got to live it out. People got to see that we are passionate. We believe in this thing. This is our life. This is everything to us. We're always uh, exhibiting and expressing who Christ is. In a hilarious episode of The Simpsons called Missionary Impossible, Homer pledges $10,000 to PBS and is generally credited for saving the television network. However, it quickly becomes apparent that Homer does not have the money, prompting a mob of characters and personalities from various PBS shows to chase him through the streets. He hides out in the First Church of Springfield and bargains with Reverend Lovejoy, who despite Homer's obvious lack of Christian faith or understanding, packs him off as a missionary to the South Pacific. Just as the plane lands... Just as the plane is about to take off, sorry, Homer shows his utter ignorance when he anxiously exclaims, Jeebus! Jeebus! But I don't know Jeebus! Help me, Jeebus! Homer arrives on the island where he meets the natives. At first he is so fearful that he is about to be eaten for dinner. He drops to the ground crying, Oh God, repeatedly. The natives take him for a religious mystic, so they too fall to the ground crying out to God. Emboldened by his new status as spiritual guru, Homer begins trying to teach them about religion, but realizing that he knows nothing about it, he tries something new. While the natives are, were noble, savages, ignorant of and unspoiled by civilization, Homer decides to build a casino on the island which he names the Lucky Savage. This introduces alcohol, gambling, and violence to the island and totally ruins the natives' previous virtuous way of life. 
The story highlights the impact of how ignorance of Jesus by those who claim his name is toxic to both the believer as well as those to those around him or her. Interesting, isn't it? It's like, it's like a restaurant chain. Imagine a franchise, restaurant franchise. Have you ever been to a Tim Hortons where you didn't like the way they did the coffee? Now imagine if that was the first cup of Tim Hortons coffee you ever drank. What happens? You don't go back, not just to that store, you don't go back to any store branded Tim Hortons. But every store didn't offend you. Every store owner or worker didn't make bad coffee. But because you saw one, and you heard the same brand being talked about all the other times you saw a Tim Hortons restaurant, guess what? The memory of the last interaction you had is so strong that you just don't want to try it again. Can I tell you, my friend? I know it's a little bit of a pressure on you, but listen, you are a franchisee of the kingdom of God. How you live your life, how you treat people, how you love people, how you share Jesus with people, how you live empowered for Jesus is going to be how people view, perceive all of God's kingdom. People will go to a church, someone that's not, that is unchurched is invited by a friend to go to a church and they, if they have a bad experience... If they had someone say to them, Oh ma'am, I'm sorry, you probably knew, but that is my seat. (laughs) Come on now. That is my seat. Can you please move over to the other row? Me and my family, we sit here every Sunday. Chances are they'll never go to a church again. They'll say, you know what, man, are you kidding me? I'm not going back there. Can I ask you a question? Are you modeling the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Greg Boyd says this, Jesus spent his ministry freeing people from evil and misery. This is what Jesus seeks to do. Jesus wars against spiritual forces that oppress people and resist God's purposes. This is what God does. Jesus loved people others rejected, even people who rejected him. This is how God loves. Jesus had nothing but compassion for people who were afflicted by sin, disease and tragedy. This is how God feels. And Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, suffering in the place of sinful humanity, defeating sin and the devil, because He passionately loves people and wants to reconcile them to God. This is how God saves. Modeling Jesus. Number two, marketing the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I'll be very quick with this point. It's very easy to understand. Have you ever met um, a business owner? Say a real estate agent, an insurance agent, um, someone that's a salesperson at a car dealership. What's one thing that's common with all of them? Their identity is completely merged with what they do for a living. Do you know what I'm talking about? My brother actually is a real estate agent. It's interesting. Uh, you know, my brother may be at a social setting, in a, maybe a, it's a, some sort of a social gathering in somebody's home. He, he's done work, right? He's done work. It's, say, 7 o'clock at night. And if someone goes up to my brother and says, you know, I have a house in Brampton right now. It's about $750,000 or so. And I'm thinking of moving up to Caledon and buying this house. I saw a beautiful home, bro. A million dollars or so. And Do you know somebody that can help me? What do you think my brother's going to do? Is he going to say to him, well, you know what? I could actually help you, but it's, it's 7 o'clock. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not at work right now. And I get back to the office at 9 o'clock. So, um, and, and this would be even more so if there were other real estate agents in the same party. Okay? Uh, tomorrow at 9 o'clock, can you give me a call? You know, you think he's going to do that? What's he going to do? He says, hey, listen. I noticed that everybody at this party is at the main level and the basement is empty. 
Let's go down to the basement. Let's talk. I can hook. I can do this deal for you, bro. I'll find you the home. I'll do everything for you. I'm the best. Listen, I'm the best agent there is. You know, you know what I'm talking. See, when business, have you ever met a business owner, insurance, whatever? If you say to an insurance agent, you know, hey, listen, I'm looking for some life insurance. Here's my. Am I right? Here's my business. You know why? Because they own it. They're on the job even when they're not working. They're constantly promoting. Jesus says something powerful. I just want to read this verse for you. Matthew 5.14 You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead a lamp is placed on a stand. What Jesus is saying is listen you are the light. The question is not if the light is there. The question is is the light expressed to people or is it being hidden? See, my wife, on the other hand, she works for government. And it's funny, she works in, you know, more like social services. But it's funny, when you tell somebody you work for the government, at whatever level, she works at the municipal level, you know, and, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm talking to you today. And it's again a party. I'm so glad I'm talking to you today. There's a road in front of my house. I've been trying to get somebody to come and take a... And my wife's like, please, I have nothing to do with roadworks. Please call 311, go to the right department, they can help you. So my wife always says, when she's out, she's like, I don't want anybody to know. (laughs) Sometimes that's how some Christians are, I don't want anybody to know. It's going to be a hassle, I have to counsel, I have to talk, I have to share the gospel, I have to pray for people. I don't want to do it, but Jesus says, hey, you're a partner. When is the last time you gave out your business card at a social setting? When was the last time someone said, my marriage is on the rocks? And you say, hey, here's my business card. I'm in partnership with the Prince of Peace and he can restore your marriage. When was the last time somebody said to you, I, I don't know what to do. I just lost my job. There's no finances. When was the last time you took out a business, your business card and said, I'm in partnership with Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Can I pray for you that God will find a way for you for your finances? Can I ask you this question, my friends? Are we marketing the kingdom of God everywhere we go? And finally, number three, number three, multiplying the kingdom, multiplying kingdom impact. Second Peter 2.9 is wonderful. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. But listen, but once everyone, somebody say this, say everyone... Everyone to repent. See, my friend, there's a difference between a distinction between an owner and an employee. See, an employee thinks this way. I get paid whatever amount of money, say it's $15 an hour. I get paid $15 times eight hours for being at this job. You don't find an employee, say, on a particular day, they only have six hours of work instead of eight hours of work. What does an employee do? Does the employee go to their boss and say, hey, boss, listen, it's, uh, it's three o'clock. I know you're paying me for two more hours, but I really have nothing to do. An employee slow walks to the water cooler. Come on now. An employee sees somebody says, Hey, how was the vacation to Mexico? You will try to find somehow to fill up the six hours of work in the eight hour time frame. Right? Because employees think, I, just, I get paid 
for these number of hours. It's like a Tim Hortons. Imagine a Tim Hortons. Usually has a hundred people come through a drive-thru in the morning, on an average morning. And this particular day, they're working, a, say, a six-hour six hour shift. Fifteen times six is what they get paid. And instead of a hundred people, two hundred people come through the drive-thru. What do you think is the reaction of the people serving at the window at the Tim Hortons drive-thru? Do you think they're excited about two hundred people? No, they're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on. Why is everybody in this town coming to this Tim Hortons on this morning. Seriously, there's another Tim Hortons two minutes down the road. Somebody get on Facebook and message and check in to that Tim Hortons and say, this place has great coffee because we want some people from here to get over. But can I ask you a question? If the Tim Hortons owner was talking to his wife that afternoon after the rush was all done, what do you think he was saying, he's telling his wife? Babe, you won't believe it. This was the best day we've ever had. Our best morning. Listen, we had 200 people. Something is happening. Our coffee must be better than every other coffee in town. I've got to put some more dollars in marketing. I need to hire some more staff because we're going to explode. Jesus says, I want as many. Ask my brother, how many houses do you want to sell? Ah, about five. Is that what he's going to say? You know what he'll say to me? As many houses as I can sell. Ask an insurance agent, how many insurances do you want to have booked this year? As many policies as I can write. But sometimes in church, well, like there's too many people. I mean, it's good this morning. There's still enough seats. It's not too crowded. But if as many as, pe- as possible came in, if everyone came in, you wouldn't have seats. You come to church, man, I used to love to go to my church. But man, I tell you what, it is so crowded in there. I don't even know if I should keep going there. You're like, what do you mean? Don't you love the preaching? Don't you love the singing? Don't you love Rexdale Alliance? Of course I do. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing about it. All we need to keep the church going is 300 people. For 300 people, I get the same message, the same worship, the same community. I get the same thing. Why would I want more people when I'm getting the same thing? Are you a partner? Or are you just an employee? Do you care about multiplying kingdom impact? I want to close with this. 1 Corinthians 9.24 Don't you realize that everyone, that in a race, everyone runs. But only one person gets the prize. Run to win. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, if you got to the Olympics and your dream was just to get to the Olympics, you're going to be so mesmerized by the crowds, the lights, the photographers. You'll be running. But you're like, man, I just got here. This is amazing. But the person that's running to win gold. Have you ever seen Usain Bolt run? Right? Who was that guy, the U.S. guy a couple few years ago now? I think it was Johnson. I think it was Johnson was his name. And, and, and. The, the veins in their neck, it's about to pop. You know why? They're not satisfied with being at the Olympics. They want to win gold. That's the only reason they came. Can I ask you, 
other necks, other sorry, other wings in your neck, spiritually speaking, about to pop because you are straining with everything you have to see the kingdom of God expand and multiply in our generation in this city. At Go Conference, I shared a stat. 2.7 million people that live in the GTA were not born in Canada. Think about that for a moment. That means in one generation, in about 40 years, or 50 years, or 60 years, 2.7 million people have come to our doorstep. Don't need to buy a plane ticket. Don't need to go anywhere in the world. All we need to do is walk across the street and walk across the room and say, hey, I want to model Jesus. I want to market Jesus. I want to multiply kingdom impact so that the world would know that Jesus saves. Can we just stand in the presence of the Lord? I want to pray for you. Pastor Sam is coming up right now as well. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have called us not to just be worshipers, not to just be hearers, not to just be congregants. You've called us to be partners. You've called us to be friends. Friends of Jesus. Partners in the mission. You said everything that the Father spoke to you, you've shared with us. So that everything that you did, Lord, in loving people, in serving people, in freeing people, we are also called to do. So would you give us your grace this morning? Would you empower us this morning? Would you help us think about lasting fruit, eternal souls? Would you stamp eternity on our eyelids? That every time we close our eyes in prayer, we pray for eternity. Every time we open our eyes, everywhere we look, we see eternity. We see men and women who are heading to eternal damnation, who you have called us to reach with the gospel. So would you anoint us and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can be witnesses of the message of the gospel. Thank you that you will do that. And thank you that in this week, Lord, we will have divine appointments and opportunities to live out what you've challenged us to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother, for challenging us in such a powerful way. And before I give the benediction, just want to remind you that our annual general meeting is next Sunday at 6.30. All are welcome, but a reminder that it's mandatory for those of you who are members as God enables you. And also, there is a ministry fair uh, that's going to be happening out in the foyer uh, for our welcome ministries. Our board of uh, deacons have been working hard to make sure that this is a place uh, of invitability uh, where uh, the kind of first-time comer, uh, newcomers are, are seeing that this is a welcoming place. So please, if you could prayerfully consider being part of that team, that would be wonderful. You can talk to them outside uh, to do that as well. And, you know, one of the things I was asking the Lord as uh, Finney was sharing 
Lord, that, for some of you, you might be overwhelmed to say, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm now a stakeholder in this kingdom of God. What can I do? Uh, the verse in Ephesians 2 came to mind when he says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. God is going to give you power for what he commands. He's going to empower you to do. Go in Jesus' name.